turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Again, I would like to reiterate what David Marr said at the beginning. It's good to see our college students here, and we have several, um, well, more than several of you here. Well, welcome. Um, just a quick note, it, when you go into the foyer, there are two pieces of paper on either side, and if you will, uh, please uh, just write your name and, and give us your number. We'd love to uh, make further contact with you if, uh, um, and have an opportunity to minister you, to you this semester. Uh, we are starting a, um, intentionally starting a growth group, perhaps, if we have enough sign-ups, specifically for college students. And so be aware of that uh, moving forward. For those of you, again, that are visiting, we have been doing a series on uh, Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. And we've been talking about that series in the sense that uh, it teaches us how to love God and love others. That's the whole purpose of doing the series. And today we come to the fifth commandment, which um, a lot of scholars recognize this would be the second table of the law, which is our responsibility towards um, those in community and in society. It's also the commandment that I know many of us inside here today might um, struggle with. Um, you know, we live in a world of broken relationships, uh, specifically with parents, uh, parent and child. And uh, for some of us, this commandment is a joy because we have parents that are wonderful and godly parents that we have enjoyed being with. And then there are some of us, not so much. This, this commandment will be a struggle. And so right off the bat, I want to tell you that uh, the, the joy of um, preaching God's word is that it not only um, goes out, but it also has the ability to convict and restore, convict and restore, convict and restore. And that's what I hope happens today. I hope that as you hear the message of God go forward, it's not too much of a burden to you, um, but it also at the same time will be a joy in your life. Um, so let's uh, read God's word together. It's been our practice to read all of the commandments as one, uh, as one congregation. So we'll begin in verse number one and end at verse number 17. Let's read this passage together. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me 
and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed we thank you for this opportunity for us to now open your word and receive instruction from it. Lord, like I mentioned to your people, um, for many of us this is a challenging one. And so, even now, begin the work of softening our hearts. Begin the work of mending relationships that are broken and restoring families that are fractured. Lord, I am just uh, your servant. Ultimately, you will do whatever it is that you need to do in the hearts and minds of your people. Holy Spirit, come now. As always, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Grant us... um, a measure of freedom and of grace that we might not just hear your word, but we might be compelled to do it. I leave that into your more than capable hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, between me and you, if I were to rank the Ten Commandments, especially the second table of the law, I don't think I would start with honor your father and your mother. I'm just being honest. Um, I would probably start with thou shall not kill, right? And and the reason why I would start with thou shall not kill is because I would much rather my children disobey me than to murder me, right? That's, (laughs) you know, that's so simple logic there, right? Uh, And I think all of us would too. I don't see anybody saying like, no, I prefer to be murdered than them to dishonor me. Um, but, But thankfully, in the wisdom of God, He doesn't care what I think. Um, In the wisdom of God, he actually put honor your father and your mother first in the second table. There are horizontal relationships, and and he did that for a good reason. The, The first reason I think the Lord did that for is to remind us that of the priority of that relationship over everything else. You know, we don't realize this, but when it comes to the second table of the law, it's actually one of, one of the more primary ones that God wants us to start with. If we can learn to honor our parents, then everything else will follow. We'll learn to honor the lives of others. In fact, Augustine said it well. If one cannot honor his father and his mother, who else can be spared? Who else would be spared? So in one sense, when we honor our father and mother, that puts us in a place to honor life. Not only that, we honor someone else's spouse. We don't commit adultery. We honor other people's property. We honor the truth. Right? So so very first thing that we see in the commandment in terms of where it's placed is its high priority within the economy of God's kingdom that this is not a peripheral command 
uh, right under thou shall not steal or thou shall not lie or thou shall not commit adultery. In fact, it's put above those because according to God, there is no other command that impacts society more than the command to honor your father and your mother. If you doubt me, actually look at the command. In verse number 12, it says, honor your father and your mother. Why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Now, in one sense, it has to do with chronology. Yes, it, it's the case that often people that, that obey their parents, uh, honor their parents, they, they do well. But it's not always the case that godly children live long. There are many godly children out there that die early. So it's not talking primarily about chronology. What it's talking about here, if you study the phrase that your days may be long in the land, that is a technical phrase to mean this, that the land is blessed when we honor our father and our mother. That's what that means. And so what is God saying in brief? When you and I honor our parents, the land is blessed as a result of this. I'll give you one example of how important this is. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 through 21. This is what God's word says. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. I saw some children sit up immediately when I, <laughs> when I got done. But, but do you see how, how God takes seriously honoring our, our father and our mother? He put the death penalty on it. Now, some of us are sitting there thinking, wow, that's extreme. But what God is saying here is clear, that that the disobedient child impacts other people. And if, and if they keep leading other people astray, they would lead the whole community astray. And therefore, you'll have chaos within the community. Now, uh, after I said that, I want to be quick to say this. This commandment, it's not principally given to punish the disobedient child. In fact, the exact opposite. Paul did not call this the big threat. No, 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 no. He called this a blessing. It's the first commandment with promise. And the promise that's in this commandment is this, that even though we live in a world of broken relationships between parents and children, God has the power to restore those relationships. So instead of this being a warning against disobedient children, this is an invitation for us to restore relationships between children and parents. It, the prodigal son is a beautiful exegesis of the fifth commandment. Because what, what do you see happen in the prodigal son? In the prodigal son, you have a son that dishonors his father by asking for the inheritance. Then we have a son dishonoring the family name by leaving and going into a foreign land. Then we have a son dishonoring his people's name by feeding pigs over and over again. The text says this is a dishonorable child, breaking the fifth commandment in every way, shape, or form. But how does the parable end? It ends with the glorious reality that the dishonorable child 
sees that he is dishonorable, comes to his senses, and goes to a father who isn't in the house, by the way. He's standing by the gate. And if you study that text, you will see that every single day he stood by the gate waiting for his son to return. And one glorious day, his son did come. And the scripture says he didn't wait for his son to come to him. What did he do? He ran to his son and embraced him and welcomed him back. That's what this commandment points us to. The glorious reality that we have a Savior who wants us to be in union and communion with our parents. And so he leaves us all sorts of reminders of the grace that comes with that. Now over the next few moments, I want to talk to children and then parents. You see, we live in a world where fractions within family is the norm. They're in my family. They're in your family. But that's not God's original intent. And I think this text speaks a lot to that. And so, for the next few moments, we're going to look at that. First of all, l permit me to talk to the children for a moment. Now, children here isn't just young children. It's, well, if you're in here, you're a child. Okay? So someone is your parent. And so listen, listen to the truth that I see in this passage. The first... Uh, truth that I see in this passage is the fact that you should honor your father and your mother. And notice there's no qualifications here. It doesn't say that they have to be good parents or if you like them. That helps. But notice the text clearly says you have to honor your father and your mother. Now what does honor mean? Well, the Hebrew word for honor, kavoth, means this. And I got this from Philip Rankin because he gets at the heart of it. He says it means to respect, esteem, value, and prize father and mothers as a gift from God. What, what, what is he trying to get at here? He's trying to shape how you and I look at our parents. There are some of you inside here today don't have a good view of your parents. You don't view them as a gift. You view them as an impediment. You view them as a burden. But what God does at the very beginning is to say, our parents, no matter how we feel about them, are actually a gift from God. And notice, too, God says father and mother. Because there are times in which you might have a good relationship with one and not the other. There might be a time in which you get along well with your dad. That's what, in fact, that's what happened in the ancient Near East. People tended to obey their fathers more because their fathers were the head of the home, right? And they owned everything, and they are the ones that can give them whatever they wanted. So they curry favor to their father and left their mother out. But God says we ought not to do that. We ought to honor both father and mother. You might have a better relationship with your mother than you do your father, or vice versa. And so the temptation is to always obey them more or do what they ask you more. But God says that's not what we ought to do. Both ought to be honored. And so the very first thing God is trying to shape is how we view our parents. They are fundamentally a gift from God to us. The second thing that this text points us to is this, and, and this is important, 
is that this command is designed ultimately to bring glory to God. Every commandment does that, this commandment in particular. Now, I want to say this. Some of us, we have parents that are a joy to honor, and then some of us, not so much. It's difficult to honor our parents. They might be unduly harsh, difficult for us to talk to, argumentative. And yet God says we ought to work to honor them. Why? Because it brings glory to God. Paul says it different, that it is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Now you might be sitting there and saying, well, pastor, how is this pleasing to the Lord for us to obey difficult parents? Yes, sir. Uh, like I said, it's easy to obey a parent that we like and to honor them. But do you know what's hard? To honor a parent that we are at odds with. That's difficult. And here's why that's difficult. It takes you subordinating your will to the will of God. It is the will of God that you obey your parent. And so therefore, when it's challenging, particularly challenging, God says to subordinate your will, your desires to that, brings glory to him. It brings honor to him. We see this in actually uh, the Beatitudes, Luke 6, 32 through 36, when Jesus talks about love. He said, you know, even the heathens love those who love them. Yes. Even heathens do that. But what separates a child of God, what, what actually brings glory to God is when you have someone difficult to love and yet you love them anyway. God says that brings supreme glory to me. Do you know Jesus practiced costly honoring? And that's what this passage calls us to, costly honoring. Honoring that cost us. Jesus practiced that. He was in the temple. He was doing his father's business. His parents came to him and say, it's time to leave. And he left. He honored them by leaving. You know, it's such a gospel witness when you see children honoring their parents. It spreads the gospel out everywhere. Now, the third thing I want you to see is this. Notice the passage says honor and not obey. Those two things are different. All of us inside here today are called to honor our parents, but not all of us inside here today are called to obey your parents. There are times when you shouldn't obey your parents. Number one is if they ask you to sin. You can honor your parents in the midst of them asking you that. You could listen to them and you could respectfully disagree with them if they're asking you to sin. But you are under no obligation by God to obey your parents. Do what they tell you to do if they're asking you to sin. Another way in which you should not obey your parents or you're under no obligation to obey your parents is when you get married. Because then you form a new household. Now your parents, of course, can ask you to do things. They can, they can request that you do things. But you are under no obligation to obey. But even in that setting, you are called to honor them, to listen to them, to look for ways to fulfill their needs. And that's critical here. Now I want to talk briefly about some practical ways in which to honor our parents that I think this passage, that flows from this passage. The first is simply 
to show your parents respect. This is so critical, by the way. So often, uh, if we are at odds with our parents, we forget that they are our authority in our lives. And we speak to them in any way. And the Lord says we ought not to do that. Another way you can honor your parents is honor their reputation. You know, so often when we get with our friends and we're having conversation about our parents, we're quick to tear down their reputation. God says not to do that. One way that we could honor them is through reputation. And one last way, there's several, but I'll, I'll end with this one, is we ought to repay them when the time comes. For some of us, our parents are old and we're already doing that. We're, we're caring for them. That's a command in scripture. 1 Timothy 5 uh, gives clear commands there that when your parents get old, it is your responsibility to care for them and to make sure they're well taken care of. You can't uh, just pass that on. In fact, when I do marriage counseling, one of the things that I tell people is have a conversation with your parents about how you will take care of them when they get older because that's critical to that. Now next, I want to talk to the parents, because you're mentioned in this passage as well. Notice the command here is to honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. Most children back then didn't know how to read. And so someone had to tell them that commandment and teach them what that means. So what does that mean for us as parents? Teach your children and prioritize obedience and for them to know the word of the Lord. Now, look, I, I used to be an educator. I taught 10, 11, 12th grade, and I believe in the power of education. I want my children to know math and science, and I want my children to learn. But you know what I also know? When my children stand before God, God is not going to ask them, how much math do you know? God is not going to ask them how much science they know or how educated they are. No, God's going to ask them, do they know Jesus? Do they know the word? And if that is what God is going to ask them on the day of judgment, then we should prioritize the instruction of our children in God's word. That's our primary responsibility as parents. Secondly is this. If we, want our parent, if we want our children to honor us, we need to be honorable. We need to be honorable. You know, one of the things about this commandment is the same word here for honor is used of God. And one of the reasons why God requires honoring, right, is because he is honorable. He's the great and mighty God. And so as parents, we need to work to be honorable. What does that mean? It means we should work to be a parent, parents of character, making sure we cons we're consistent, making sure we don't uh, act in a double-tongued fashion. We ought to work to be honorable. Now, let me say this. We're not always going to meet that standard. And there are many of us inside here today feel the pain of not meeting that standard. But in reality, this is what God has, uh, has called us to strive for. And let me say this too. Honorable doesn't mean sinless. God doesn't expect you to be sinless. The most honorable thing that we can learn as parents 
is to learn how to repent. When we've sinned against our children, we go to them and we ask for forgiveness. And we plead with them. Let me say this along the score as well. And this is something that I often struggle with. You know, in the process of disciplining your children, right, what happens? Well, you, you start laying into them, I guess, correcting them, and trying to get them to understand uh, what, whatever it is that they did wrong. And at times, in that process, we forget that we should act in a particular way. We should be gracious and kind. We should not raise our voice and yell at them. I'm a yeller, if you couldn't tell. I've, I've worked at it. You know, here, uh, you, know, you, don't wanna, you don't want me to open full throttle and talk to you. I'll blow you away, right? But I'm a yeller. And recently, uh, one of my children came to me and said, Dad, can you, can you stop yelling? And, and I tried. I'm working on it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to minister to your children as parents, you, you have to learn to listen to them. And if there is something that they don't want you to do and it's good and right for you to do, then strive to do it. But all of us need to be taught that we, we need to be honorable as we deal with our children. Honorable. The last thing I would say on that is this. You are not your children's savior. Your children have one savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And here, here is something that's so interesting. As a parent, you love your children. By the way, children, listen to me. Your parents love you. They love you. They sacrifice for you. They pray for you. They, they care for you. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but they do. As a parent, I love my children, and I care for them, and I do my best. Parents, in our attempt to love our children, we try to rescue them from everything. You can't rescue your children from everything. You're not that powerful. And so what God says is it is not your job to be your children's savior. It's your job to point your children to the savior. See, this is what happened to Eli. If you looked at the story of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli was so excited he had two sons that was going into the priesthood. So excited. And when his sons began to do things contrary to what priests should do, he always tried to cover for them and tried to help them. He, he tried to be their savior. And notice what God said to him right after God took away uh, the priesthood from him. In 1 Samuel 2.29, it says, God rejected Eli and his sons because Eli honored his sons over the Lord. He honored his sons over the Lord. What does that mean? Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit and God to deal with his sons, that he took that job upon himself. And God said, no, that's not your job. Your job is not to save your children your job is to consistently point them to the Savior. That's why the Holy Spirit is so needed when it comes to child rearing. You know, it's, it's always interesting to see parents for the first time. You know, when you have your first child, 
Well, what happens when you have your first child? I mean, if the passy drops on the ground, you throw it away. Right? You're, you're up late wondering if they're going to die in their sleep. You're, you're on your knees every time they're, they're sick, praying to God to heal your children. You, you're such a, you get so frantic about loving and caring your children. And then what happens by the fourth one? You know, the posse drops on the ground. You're just like, whatever. <laughs> I'm tired. You know, it doesn't matter at the fourth one. Now, now why is that the case? In one sense, it's not because you've become a bad parent. Uh, what, <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know. That's <laughs> either here or there. But, but here's the point I really want to make. What happens is after you've had a few children, you think you know something about parenting. There, there's less a tendency to depend on the power of God in raising your children if by the time you have the fifth one. It's the same thing in marriage. Like, you know, when you first get married, you, you pray and you, you want the Lord to breath, bless your marriage and you, you work at it. And then after a while, you, you know a little bit about marriage now. You've, you've read a few books. And so there's less a tendency to pray and ask God and the Holy Spirit to help you. Same thing with your job. You know, you start a new job. What, what happens? You're praying and asking the Lord to help you on your job. You're trusting him to help you do well. And then after a few years, you got it. Let me tell you something. If, if you ever get to a place in your life where you don't need the power of the Holy Spirit, that is not the place you want to be. The God of Scripture tells us that we need the Holy Spirit at every single waking moment to help us raise our children, whether it's your first child or it's your fourth child. And you students, especially freshmen, know this. You are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to make it through four years of college. And so learn to get to know him. All right. Uh, I want to close by addressing uh, a particular group in here today. And, and it's those of you that have been horribly abused by your parents. Those of you that throughout the sermon, you have been thinking to yourself, how can I possibly love and forgive um, my parents for their abuse in my life? There, there are some of you in here like that. Let me say a few things. For those of you that have been abused or have parents that were cruel and unloving and might be estranged for your family, let me say this is why you need the gospel. This is why you need the gospel. What does the gospel do? Well, first of all, the gospel reminds us of our true father. I, I just read it here in the song. Listen, listen to your father or who your father is. Thou hast the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness hast now and no bitterness. The gospel reminds us that when you are a believer, you get new parents. And that parent is loving kind and gentle. Not only that, the gospel introduces to another brother, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
who laid down his life for you. The gospel gives us a new family of believers. New family of believers that we can be in fellowship with. I, I told this story before, but it's worth telling again. I remember we went to uh, Mexico, um, and, and I didn't know anybody there. We, we went to Mexico. We went on a missions trip, and they sat me next to the guy that didn't speak English. And we were both looking at each other. And I, said, and I took out my phone, and I, I think it was Duolingo or whatever those things are, and, and we started trading texts with one another. He would write it in Spanish, and I would read it in English, and I would write it in English, and he would read it in Spanish. And we, we were talking and laughing at one another. And, and somebody looked over at me and said, Dennis, I thought you knew, I didn't know you know Spanish. I was like, I didn't. But why were we able to do that? Because we had the same spiritual father. Why, why would I end up talking to a perfect stranger who I never met in my entire life and experiencing sweet fellowship with him because we have the same Holy Spirit? Never forget, when you become a child of God, you get a new family, a glorious family. Not only that, you get a new inheritance. You get a new inheritance. And that's something that you can rest on. Now again, some of you are saying, Pastor, I understand all of that, but how do I amend broken <coughs> and restored relationship with my family? I'll give you three, three ways, and I could end like this. First of all, strive for forgiveness. Strive for forgiveness. Remember the gospel at its core is that you have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. He forgave you despite your sin, despite your brokenness, despite all the things that you've done. And the only thing he asks you to do now is to forgive others in the same way. So work to forgive your parents. Next, strive to love. I had mentioned it before, but Jesus said that it's easy to love those who love you. The mark of the Christian is to love those that are unlovable. And then finally, pray. You know, Jesus said, if we ask anything in his name in accordance with his will, he hears us. There was a time in my life when me and my mother were estranged. And I remember um, when she got sick, and before I went to the Bahamas and I carried Madison with me, um, our oldest, I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't want to go. I don't want to be here. But I know this is my calling. And so I got on my knees and I prayed for several days. And then I boarded the plane to the Bahamas. And it was that trip we reconciled. And it was glorious. I'm not telling you to do something that I haven't had to do myself. And I'm telling you it's possible. But only with the gospel. Father, I thank you so much that in a world where there are broken relationships, and difficulty at times um, with our parents and with our children, you find a way to restore. so help us 
your people. In Jesus' name.